welcome to AMO Kenzuku, episode 24. Is that right? Are we on 24? Yep. Okay, good. Um, we are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who have come together to discuss topics covering anime, manga, and any other otaku-related subjects. The Kenzoku are myself, Nick, and then we also have Sam. Hello. Dylan. Hello. And Mike. Hey, y'all. We are recording today's episode on January 12th, 2023, and the subject is Project Aiko. But before we move on to the topic, I think Sam uh, had something to, to say before we get into it, so go for it. Yeah, so we were talking about stuff during our awards show thingy, the Kenzokis, and that got me thinking about something. Um, two of the shows we talked about, um, at least I'm pretty sure they came up during the uh, the episode, was uh, Akiba Maid Wars um, and to, to Your Eternity. Is that what it is? To the Eternity. Um, and both of those shows have really fantastic first episodes that are almost good enough to stand on their own. Like if you just watched the first episode, uh, you you don't really need to watch the show. You could stop there and you would probably still be satisfied. So that got me thinking, what other shows have first episodes that good? And in particular... The rest of the show doesn't need to be any good. The rest of the show can be garbage. Um, but what what has a first episode that's really good by itself? Anybody uh, got anything they can think of? Uh, Nick, I think you had one you had thought of. Yeah, the, sec- the second you asked that question, there's a title that immediately bursts into my head, and that is uh, Gare Zero. And mm. I don't know how popular that show is. It aired somewhere in the late aughts. I want to say probably 08 ish is when it originally aired um to honestly not much fanfare but uh the i don't want to spoil it but the first episode is completely not what the rest of the show is like (laughs) and it's it almost baits you into uh thinking the show is something else because leading up to the original air date like all the promotional material was pushing for content that was in the first episode but that isn't what the rest of the show is at all and i i enjoyed the entirety of the show but i can see why people were really turned off after that first step but i would say as far as impact goes that that's probably one of the most impactful first episodes of a show that i can think of yeah i kind of have to agree with that one it it, it's it's kind of a escapes in here into the category because part of it, uh, why it was so good is how it broke expectations. So I don't know how effective it would be. Um, because yeah, all the, uh, all the, the key art, all the advertising was for this one show. And then, yeah, once you watch it at the end of the first episode, you're like, oh, so it's not that. But, yeah, like but, quite literally, like the roster of characters it portrays and all the promotional materials and even like the, the general style of like how the characters dress and everything infer one thing 
and then all that quite literally is exploded and blown apart and you get a completely different show for the remainder of the yeah. whatever 12 11 or 12 episodes after that that actually hooked me on the show like i i, I, was, I it got me yeah it got me yeah i i you know that's one of the i I, I mean, I don't. I think calling it a guilty pleasure is a disservice. I don't think it's a bad show. It's certainly mm-hmm. not for everybody, but yeah, man, I have a deep affection for that show, almost exclusively because of what it pulled in that first episode. Definitely, I don't think anybody's done anything like that since. That was pretty bold. Uh, Mike, can you think of any shows like that? Um, I haven't seen the show in question, so I'm not exactly sure what its first step did. I just mean in terms of a show that has a, a really good first episode, regardless of the rest of the show, and it could almost stand on its own. It's not quite a show, but the original record of Lotus War OVA definitely made a good choice to bring the story into the first episode that it did in the first episode, even though it was out of order. Ah, okay. So, like... I, I agree. Interesting. I definitely agree. I I, cannot... I on my list as well had had Lodos War OVA episode one as like okay if you're gonna have one that was I that was kind of on that standalone you're like if you just want to have a thing where you watch one episode and you're like this is awesome everything else has to be just as great as this Lodos War OVA one holy crap it's so good the animation is so good. Yeah, it was a really good choice to lead with some dungeon delving action rather than with the character introductions that then get shoved back to episode two. Yeah, I completely agree. And you can almost say that the trend almost kind of carries over and accelerates into the TV series because I'm hard-pressed to think of a more phenomenally animated opening sequence for any TV series ever than Lodos TV opening, but the entirety of the show itself is so overwhelmingly mediocre. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, the fact that the omake was actually the part of the episode I really was waiting for when we watched <laughs> it in club tells you my opinion of the show. Thanks. Um, another very memorable first step for me, though it's more just the starting scenario, is Eden of the East, with the whole, like, becoming conscious with no memory naked in front of the White House with a handgun. (laughs) That feels like the start of an adventure game of some sort. Yeah, I I totally forgot about Eden Release. Yeah, I adore that show. So yeah, good choice there too. Yeah, sounds like a good one. Dylan, do you have any others? Um, well, I have... Okay, so I have others that I think are just great first episode so i'm just gonna mm-hmm. throw those out and you're like yeah this isn't what we're trying to do so like cowboy bebop eva uh macross and ronma one half i think those are all just excellent first episodes that show you what the show is and suck you in but that is not quite the that you could just watch this and then stop and then be like okay i i knew everything i i got everything out of those Oddly enough, the Bebop first episode doesn't really do it for me. I think that might have been because I started watching when we were showing episode four, and that immediately hooked me with, you know, the Spike Jet Faye, essentially Lupin, Jiga, and Fujiko character ish dynamics, but in space. And that part 
pulled me right in, whereas I'm not sure if the first episode would have had it been my first introduction to the show. Though, I'm sure I would have liked it soon. That's fair enough. But yeah, Ballad of the Fallen Angels at five is, uh, that's, 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 a, that's a character, that's a, that's up there for best episode five of a show ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you could, Cowboy Bebop, you can pick almost, there's so many episodes you can pick that like qualify as, you know, top 10 episodes of all time of anything, any show, anime or not, I feel, right? Like Cowboy Bebop's kind of hit that mm-hmm. level of, of recognition in, in mainstream media so the special thing about the first episode though is is you you don't know anything about what you're going to watch um and so it has a lot more work to do like bebop episodes definitely has some of the best episodes in anime but also that builds off of the fact that you know these characters uh and they're kind of that builds into the drama of it yeah first episodes are hard because you have to both introduce the characters and have them do something interesting, and it's hard to do both in one 25-minute span. And that's, I think, an area where people kind of forget that, that Cowboy Bebop does it almost better than any other show. Is Within a 25-minute episode, they can get so much plot in. It was so well everything right from from like screen written directed you know all the cuts everything just all the, like the flow of every episode is like perfect and obviously they do a handful of like two-parters because you know there is an overarching plot in the show but yeah it is really impressed to me that's the most impressive thing about that show is how they can fit so much plot in each 20 20 23 24 minute episode yeah the the thing that like talking about you have to introduce the characters and the plot and everything that's that's one of the reasons why I like the that first episode of uh, To Your Eternity because it's literally just one character. The first episode is one character, and you don't even really find out what the show is about, but by itself is just so powerful in its storytelling. It's like a short. It's almost like a short film by itself, and it kind of makes you be like, okay, now I got to see more because I want to know where it goes from here. Yeah, that is one I've been wanting to watch. It's been recommended by a few of my of my friends so uh it's it's still still on my t- to to be watch list the akiba made wars got me so much because it uh it was like i <laughs> i can't believe they're doing this and it yep. it was done so well like so many gags P- were like spot on like yeah pa works man <laughs> yeah yeah pa works <laughs> that's man. all i have to say those guys know what they're doing those yeah, guys are kind uh, of a i don't know like a sleeper studio like most people i feel like don't realize how good they are maybe maybe they do and i'm not <laughs> i mean they did two of my favorite shows this year that were both kind of under the radar and kong ming and and akima made war so yeah they're they're very consistent okay so i, I know I, I threw out some others so we definitely got into be about i my my number one favorite episode one of a thing ever is uh uh eva uh, eva tv it's in my opinion, I think it's I think it's the best best first episode that's ever been done. I'm not trying to make this a whole, which is the best first episode. <laughs> I mean, thing, you're, you're not my, you're not going to get much argument amongst most of us here. I mm. think a lot of us put Eva Ep one up there. I do. I certainly do. Anyway, I think it's definitely a very good first episode. But in terms of like, I feel like I I feel strongly about Akiba Made Wars and uh, To Your Eternity doing something a little bit different enough that makes them stand out. Yeah, I mean, again, the way you phrased the question, instantly Gare Zero. Yeah, definitely. Like, that, no no, no other show yeah. I've ever watched in my entire life 
has an F1 affected me like F1 of Garizero. That's, that's how impactful it is. I agree. I, I would yeah. put that in that category. Yeah, you got to check that that out. Um, a couple others I had, I got, and kind of the one where I, I think as a good first episode that also, and I don't know if it, again, I don't know if it quite leaves you feeling like, well, I watched this whole thing. It's it's crazy, but it's kind of like, yeah, I, I feel like it has to kind of give you the more, but also has to give you enough. So that's why I put like mm-hmm. first episode Veronica up there because it's just, it gets through enough and you meet enough people that you're kind of like, oh, okay. I understand enough about the things, but you're still left with like, what? This is idiocy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like the first step of Dirty Pair TV did that too, though it's hard for me to really evaluate the impact because TV was one of the last things that got released here. <laughs> so it was very much not the first step that I saw, but I feel like, okay, meeting Kay, Yuri, um, the cat thing, and in a haywire computer-controlled city feels like a good start. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. But I'm going to say I want more than a good start. I want, I want like a, it's like I'm hearing a lot of episodes that I feel like sound extremely good in their fundamentals. Um, but God, like God Ray Zero was like, holy cow. That was like, my mind was blown. And yeah, I still think about that all the time. I like, do you remember that time they did that thing with that show? Yeah, right. Like, no other shows really tried to do, like, copy it either. I think that was, they took a humongous risk. And, and mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know if it really paid off for the show or not. Because, like I said, I don't know how popular it was. Like, again, I enjoyed it personally, but I don't know how, how well it did um, as a, a commercially speaking. Yeah, well. I don't, I didn't really hear much talk about it because it kind of was coming out in that era where, in my opinion, like kind of the second bursting of the anime bubble where there was just all sorts of really bad stuff being made. So mm-hmm. it was kind of right towards the, that beginning of that era. Because I want to say it came out in like in like summer of 08. I, I, I feel like that's about right. But, yeah. but, but in any case, um, great question, Sam. But I would I think we should probably get moving to the to the yes. subject at hand here. So. Project Echo. So this is the kind of third. I mean, we broke it up with other episodes in between, but this is kind of our third, you know, OVA in this kind of '80s era. Even though it isn't really an OVA, it yeah, was started as one, and its sequels were, but it was this itself was a theatrical, a film. theatrical release. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's it's 84 minutes long, which is about the same length as uh, as Megazone two three and Birth, if I recall. There, everything was around that 90 minute range. Mm-hmm. I want to say. Um. So this one was made in 1986. So it would be the most. That would be the newest of the the trio of Birth, Megazone, and Echo. Um, it would be the newest amongst the three. Um, I guess I'll go over just some notable, uh, notable, notable notables um, as far as the production. So it was directed by uh, Katsuhiko Nishijima, and uh, anybody who's ever watched. Uh, any of his other works can definitely see his call signs because he also directed uh, Agent Ica and Najika Blitz Tactics. Um, you, you guys can uh, can check those shows out if you like, but I'll just say he really, really loves ladies in short skirts and using a lot of um, low angle shots. If I remember right, uh, one of those two shows on it was infamous for the the panty counter on the ADV release here. I think that was Ica. 
I think it's yeah, Agent. I think it was Agent Ica. Ica. I think they, Except yeah. I don't think ADV released Ica. Oh no, that maybe. Thought that was Bandai, but I could be wrong. Well, in any case, um, so yeah, there. Are, I would say Echo is has the less least amount of ludicrous penny shots, especially considering the era it was made in, and also it was a theatrical release. Also, uh, at least as far as I can tell, based on the uh, wiki entry, uh, Mike, we were correct in that originally it looks like during the early planning stages, uh, Project Echo was actually originally planned to be part of the Cream Lemon OVAs, but at some point in the planning, it basically got converted to an OVA and then fi- and then actually a theatrical release, so... Uh, right. And then, oddly enough, it was double-featured with a theatrical, non-hentai sequel to another Cream Lemon OVA. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh. Okay, well, that, that kind of, I guess that tracks. And I, from, what I'm, from what I'm seeing, the only scene from the original Cream Lemon planning that seemed to make it in, and it probably would surprise nobody, is early on, the uh, where Biko's in her gigantic bath scene, like that one, that scene definitely kind of stood out like a sore thumb <laughs> uh not that, that i mean the whole whole movie i guess i'll call it was definitely had a lot of content that probably is never gonna be made again uh in this era um it yeah. was taking a lot of uh cues from its heritage i would say and in, in, in that it was supposed to be part of green lemon because they're definitely pushing the limits of what is you know like a theatrical movie based content versus straight up like adult content um that all all that being said the you know the production quality and the specifically the pacing to me anyway were by far the most refined out of the three ovas that we have uh watched for this three part series Ooh, hmm i don't know if i well Pacing, I suppose I could give it that, but the qual I I can understand if you think the animation isn't quite one to one because there are definitely some areas that to me look more like a TV quality than over quality. But the plot, at least for me, anecdotally, to me, it had the most coherent plot and it yeah. flowed well because it did not feel like I sat there for eighty five minutes by the time this credits rolled. It felt to me more around an hour, so that tells me that I was engaged enough the whole time that. It was paced pretty well, and I, 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 you can tell also from the very beginning that they were planning it to be in this runtime, where the other two, you know, Birth and uh, Megazone kind of had weird, um, you know, planning issues where Megazone was supposed to be a TV series originally, and Birth, I don't even know, I don't even recall what Birth's planning was, but it definitely seemed more haphazard as well. So mm. Aiko definitely had that advantage. It felt, to me, it felt a little bit drawn out. I did, obviously... I... I'll just say I I did not like this. I I hated it actually. <laughs> I might have felt differently if I watched it back in the day, but it was it was kind of excruciating for me to finish. Um, Interesting. I was uh, I I will say that I literally just finished it up a little while ago, and I was been very distracted, so I did not give it my usual full press. But yeah, the story I found kind of wonky. The thing I did like is I think there are just some incredible animation segments in it they're mm-hmm. just like this mm-hmm. is great um 
just yeah. I mean, the, the prolonged fight like, scene ooh, is ooh. one of the best out oh, yeah. in this era for sure, right? Between Aiko and and Biko and the powers air quotes power suit, aka <laughs> you know yeah, magical magical bikini that makes her as powerful as you know uh, uh, as a superhuman. But um, but yeah, I I I I think that's that whole segment was done phenomenally well. Uh, yeah, I I found myself being I kind of perked up when that scene happened because it was kind of lo- lagging a bit because they're kind of it's kind of this weird movie where there's a lot of gags in it so it's like very gag heavy to start mm-hmm. and then it kind of you know still inter- continually inter- intersperses it throughout. The gag- Did I okay, having just watched it with the co- the animation director's commentary track a few things that are interesting. Um, a lot of the team that made this were veterans of Urusei Atsura TV in some of the movies. They were kind of, a lot of them were like Oshi's original Urusei Atsura group that were with him for only You and Beautiful Dreamer, and then some of them stuck around on the TV after he was forced out. But So you can kind of see some of the UI80s TV elements to the sense of humor of the show. Oh yeah, for sure. Very yeah. gaggy. Um, I mean, if you look at some of the key animators, like, I, I, I didn't go through all of it, but I spotted some pretty notable names, like Atsuko Nakajima was a key animator, and oh. she went on to do all sorts of amazing things. Um, Rama, you know, probably shortly after this, she, she got the, uh, the nod to, to do the character designs for Rama One Half, I'm sure, because Rama started in 88, I believe. So that'd yes. be two years after this, so that would track. Really... A lot of the people in this went on to do other things. Oh, it yeah. It's really kind of along with... It fits right in with our trilogy of mid-80s works that let up-and-coming new animators really just go nuts and do whatever they thought was cool because the business end didn't have enough of sense of what would sell yet or not. Yeah, I noticed a lot of names when I was going through it that didn't necessarily make it on to do notable things but have still been present as, like, key animators storyboarders like um animation directors you didn't notice because he was credited under his actual name i believe was kia about to say was a kia yeah yeah who did the apparently the um sword fight sequence between aiko and d on the catwalk which was reasonably well done yeah i mean that tracks also kia again another legend in the industry but that's pretty. Uh, I, I didn't realize that he actually did like animation stuff because I just know him as a manga artist. Yeah, recently, yeah apparently yeah, he more, was an animator before he became before he switched over to manga. Well, you know, he still does did character designs for TV, like Steam Detectives. That's true. Stuff like that. So that's a fair point. He's he's a very multi dimensional uh, creator, I'd say. Um, let's see what else is of note. Was uh, something I found interesting was the music composition uh the the choose the choice for composers um were two uh i i want to say were they american because they're, i'm just assuming they're because of the names uh richie zito and joey carbone <laughs> wow yeah, um, in recorded in a studio in the hollywood area yeah so that's one thing that caught me also was the music in it was very different not in a bad way but just different from what i expect to hear in anime uh, even of this era, it did stand so, out to me. I loved that. Like, I loved a, certain bits of it, like the little synthy bits. I thought those were yes. really cool. I I know exactly I, what you're talking about. I own the soundtrack <laughs> on both vinyl and CD, so yeah, I'm a fan of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because collectively, I would say altogether as a whole package, if I had to 
pick between, you know, like it or dislike it, I would say that I like Project Echo. There are a litany of things I have problems with, but it also does a lot of things very well. And despite the content, I think the way the plot moves along has aged relatively well, I would say, compared to other stuff of this era. Because the first time I watched Aiko, I was, I don't know, probably like 12 or 13 years old. And I... I remember watching it, and I remember certain elements of it, but I didn't really remember much of the plot. Not that it has an intricate <laughs> plot, to, that, to be fair. Uh, one thing I never ever did forget, and still to this day, that is a borderline deal-breaker for me, is Seiko. Yes! Um, oh, oh, man. Holy moly! <laughs> what? Talk about completely irredeemably unlikable character yes. for me personally i, I i'm sure sam agrees yes two thousand <laughs> percent goodness well, just holy because you're not an 80s lolicon japanese fan or animator yeah all i can say yeah just when my first question pick the, your favorite <laughs> of the three like a third of the animators they asked in the secret file chose Seiko. Uh, like, what? <laughs> which is like, uh, which is mind-boggling to me. And um, another two chose Mari, who I can get on board with. Oh, is Mari the Hokuto no Ken lookalike? Yes. No. <laughs> okay, well, I, one, okay, one of my favorite characters in that scene was, that fir- that fight scene in the back was hilarious because she was voiced by two separate yeah, uh, VAs. Cool. Right? <laughs> one was was Daisuke Gori, who's like uh, famous for doing really just like, like what he did Hokuto no Ken characters. And that was like the grunting and the you know and the all the martial arts noises, and then the other was a a, a female VA when she was actually speaking. Yeah. So, I don't know if it uh, worked very well, but I, I really liked that they tried. It, it. was <laughs> it was hilarious, and then the you know the the overt Kokuten Oken Fistful North Star reference for that that brief fight scene yeah. just was was hilarious. So again, the, the, just moments like that really were re- like help redeem the overarching fact that. Of the number one question I asked and still ask to this day of what on earth do Aiko and Biko see in Seiko to make her so yeah. pursuable, for lack of a better term. Um, well, it isn't her bento-making skills that yeah. Which is include like... a cream lemon OVA and the secret files <laughs> special <laughs> speaking of. That's like, what do you that... mean there? I mean, in that second bento that has like the live act or live photo cutouts of shit thrown into it, like one of them is one of the cream lemon covers, I think, and another uh, is the secret file special making like promo video. <laughs> oh, yeah. I also heard they like snuck in some uh, cameos during the like prolonged fight scene between Echo and Biko of like characters from other cream lemon. Um, episodes i, I guess so. like I, I i don't know i haven't watched it so i couldn't confirm or deny i'd also i didn't uh, i wasn't like pausing on frames to see um you know exactly there was quite a lot of of those things that that sam brought up in megazone where you know there's like a single frame of of like a of anime of like an image before it cuts to like the remainder there's a lot of that going oh, on oh really i didn't in, even in, notice yeah. this time oh yeah, it was it was there was a lot. I didn't bother trying to stop it because I was watching it on the stream. So yeah, it was hard to get the fidelity to pause, but definitely the trend carrying on here. Did, did speaking of background characters, um, 
when they're fighting near the end and you you know they're on the ship um and they kind of do the d reveal uh that d is a woman too and then i got to wondering then is uh is the ship captain a woman as well? Because all the other, all I, I the noticed aliens are women. Yeah. Well, that's what I was getting at. He says, like, I noticed as they're running along the ship, like, Oh, all of them are women. And then like, okay, D is a woman. Oh, okay. So what about the captain? Okay. So is, is that like a confirmed thing then? Yes. Okay. Now that I, I did appreciate that kind of thing where like, they just a perfect instance of show. Don't tell, right? Like they didn't have to tell me that like, there was no big reaction or anything like that. It was just like, it was just there. It, this is what it, it is. Yeah. It is what it is, right? Yeah. That was mm. neat. I do. I thought I, I did appreciate that uh, element as well. Um, but yeah, this it, it's just a fascinating piece of of anime history in this. I mean, it it did. It must have been some kind of success, right? It spawned of what? It was four parts total, Mike? You're, you're yeah, the historian. Yeah, three here. OVA sequels plus then an. AU OVA that I think was a couple eps. I can't remember. I will not be watching those. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, to some degree, it was a it was a it was a success because they you know continued it for I would assume several years beyond that. I I don't think I ever watched beyond the third OVA. It's been again, I've been over twenty years for myself. I... I think I've only watched the sequels once. Some of them probably deserve another chance. Others, I'm less sure about. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like I'd be missing anything by not watching them. Depends if you like the characters and want to see more of them, I guess. <sighs> I mean... I don't know, more Seiko. Aiko <laughs> is probably the only one who's interesting. The, the interaction between Aiko and Biko actually was kind of okay later on i i liked their kind of like um reluctant uh what do you what would you call that reluctant uh alliance there we go uh it when they go at first attack the ship and then like uh biko drops aiko or whatever and she's like nah, oh well <laughs> just you're like going. Eh, it's okay <laughs> i thought that was pretty I'll, good. I'll, I'll make it work <laughs> yeah my recollection is that Biko's posse gets fleshed out into a bit more fully characters, including Mari, but it's been so long since I've seen the sequels that I don't remember how exactly, or whether it's worth it. I'm not going to lie, the only thing I remember about the sequels with regards to Biko is her. that one point her, her dad, the parents get involved, and her dad is like the president of whatever the corporation you know, that designs all the technology she has access to, and his power suit is literally the same as hers, so you just see this jacked dude in this, you know, like, leather, leather, you know, leather-looking bathing suit, for lack of a better description. I was thinking to myself, okay, I mean... That's, that's a nice you know, gag. I that is a good gag. That entertains me. That, that amuses me. Yeah, that's good. Very 80s, quintessential 80s, early 90s kind of kind of humor, for sure. Yeah, there was there's a lot of that in there, and I actually... I thought a lot of it was actually pretty... I thought it was pretty funny. I thought stuff was entertaining. Um, I mean, there's so much... This this thing, I think the most person I think of this whole thing, aside from the director's panty fetish, is so Yuji Moriyama, who is like... Oh my goodness. There's There's nothing that he has not worked on or... Like if you literally just look at like character design stuff, it's like he, he's the person who made uh, Nuku Nuku. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently he slipped the Aiko characters into their class as a background. Uh, we'll oh, I never. Look for oh, that. really? Wow, I never knew that. And I love Nuku Nuku. 
not be surprised. Yeah, like all like all sorts of crazy stuff to being like animation director for like nearly a whole season of Bleach TV. You know, I take that as what it is, but it's a major thing with you know animation director on the Eva movie and character designer for Maison Ikoku, correct? Yep. Yeah, just like mm. everything, like Kino's journey, like all sorts of things across every sort of stuff, like, uh, you know, uh, animation director for probably, yeah, animation director for episode one of Naruto TV, so they don't give that to just anyone. <laughs> for Eps 3 and 4 of Macross Plus. Yeah, oh yeah, Macross Plus, yeah, that one's not done well at all. Uh, um, so yeah, he's he's someone who's done a ton of stuff. Um, I think the show that oh, I he did key animation for a chunk of End of Ava too, and apparently Ano did some animation for Aiko, though I don't know, or at least some uncredited contribution to Aiko, though I don't know exactly what. It wasn't the particle effects, that's for sure. Way way <laughs> inferior particle effects is one thing I noticed. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, who? can match on those particles. No, no, really. nobody, nobody puts in the agonizing amount of back-breaking work he does to try to handle all that. So, like yeah, other I, people, like another, you know, the Eva stuff. Like Masayuki is one of the uh, key animators in in this. Um, like a bunch of other, like Eva, because like Gunex looks like they were fairly involved in this between doing in betweeners and a lot of their employees doing. I think probably more key and type stuff for it. But like, yeah, like Masayuki, who's uh co-director of basically most of Eva. Um, and uh, oh, I saw a bunch of other people. But I was going to say that it's the show that I felt that this like reminded me of the most is, is Ranma One Half. In a lot of ways, I see the pedigree of um, Urusa Yatsura mm-hmm. as, as well, and, and, and yeah. some Ranma for sure. For Like, I would say... The, in in Aiko, I see a lot of um, of uh, girl type Ramas like tendencies. Yeah, there's kind of that, and then it's like it's it's definitely different, like content and like you know with rockets and stuff like that. But some like the action sequences and the way those things were done felt to me like because I'm very familiar with the Rama, they felt very Rama esque to me. Um, and then some of the mecha animation should have been feeling very Macross-ish, because you had staff from Macross and Do You Remember Love doing oh, yeah. some of that side. Yeah, of that, the, oh, yeah, the fighter jet scrambling sequence when the aliens come, I screamed Macross to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was keyed by someone from Do You Remember Love. I'm spacing I'm sure. on the name. I think it was the mechanical designer for or one of them. But like some of this, this, this is one where I feel like I was very distracted in watching it, but like I would give it I would give another watching, and I didn't. I didn't hate it to Sam's level of absent of abject of abject hated. But I would say of the of the current kind of '80s stuff there. Like I, in spite of all of its shenanigans, I at this point much preferred Megazone two three. Yeah, that's mm. fair. I feel like Megazone has the more directly impressive animation, though Echo certainly has some very cool moments i oh that's tough because honestly the action in megazone to me was not nearly as impressive but the general quality art quality throughout i would agree is better 
Um, Akov, to me, what made it were the fight was the the prolonged fight sequence. That was really what sold it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that's tough for me to choose because I feel Megazone's like pacing was such a disaster. <laughs> like it was so bad. Yeah. Um, Aiko is surprisingly good for only having been scripted for a third of it, and the rest filled in with storyboards. Essentially, I, I don't know. I do not. I, I I don't think it feels that well paced. Like part of the reason I didn't like it was like in the beginning, it was it's like, what do you? Is this really this whole thing going to be an hour and a half of them like meeting at school and fighting? Like, I do agree with you that the beginning seemed a bit drawn out especially the gag the whole gag portion of like she's going to get to school and every day it's going to escalate to some degree up until it finally escalates to the the breaking point where she has the power suit right and then it got interesting um and then everything went really quickly from there because the aliens and all that come in so um i guess in a way it was uh, the opposite problem of birth where it started Birth started to me for me started relatively strong and then it just completely dropped off a cliff. Yeah, yeah, um, midway through where Echo starts off a lot. It, I wouldn't say it starts; it's an exact mirror because I feel like it started okay, and then that you know at like the fifteen minute mark where things kind of drag on because they yeah. take that gag a little too far. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, Echo's introduction is good. I agree. The repetitive Biko Echo fights drag on a little long they could have done it maybe two times less <laughs> and it would have probably been okay but oh man i mean in the end i still feel like if i was gonna sit down and watch one of these again uh i would still i would probably pick echo again over megazone um not by a huge amount uh i think just overall the megazone there's a lot of weird areas of it just that just are left on developed that really kind of leave me with a bad taste and with a bad taste in my mouth where echo at least it whatever what few scant plot elements are introduced are addressed and you know it's a more coherent story for sure it is and you're left with a really entertaining you know thing of well now you have this mothership stuck on the spire in the middle of the city so Mm -hmm. that's a thing i guess (laughs) it's like (laughs) but you have seco so (laughs) Yeah, I know. She is a, I agree, she is a gargantuan negative uh, for me as well. So, uh, and then um, another little, I don't know, I, I, it definitely probably isn't her first screen credit, but I did notice that uh, in the credits that uh, Megumi Hashibara played one of the, the, uh, the, the cronies for Biko. Yeah, she oh. plays the one that gets, I can't remember, but it's the one with big glasses who then gets oh. totally bandaged up so <laughs> right. you can't see her You can't see her face. Yeah. That was my favorite so. gag in the whole thing, with the transforming uh, vehicle into a mech, and she's like smashed inside of it. Which actually is kind of meta, right? Because that's the one thing you think about is these convertible things. Like, yeah. Is there really space for a person in there? And mm-hmm. yeah, that answers your question. Probably not. <laughs> I did not but, expect uh, that at all. That was very funny. I, yeah, I, some of the gags like hit like I feel like are timeless. Like that one specifically would hit in any era. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that yeah. was brilliantly delivered. the The character Mari in general, I thought was really well done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just the whole that whole yeah. uh, the dichotomy of 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 the 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 deep male voice and the the cutesy female voice. Oh I yeah, was... I mean it, it's kind of a bit overdone just because of um it's become a whole genre of doujinshi so like it's not, yeah, it's not novel true. anymore but uh, it is but this is 1986 yeah 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 they get so. for reals they get a pass but. 
a lot of the problem with ACO is that it introduced a lot of things that have then kind of been separately overdone, so they don't hit with the same impact they probably did then. I definitely was having that thought while I was watching it, that it's like the um, uh, Gone with the Wind effect, right? Where it's like, it's, it's some of that stuff is so iconic that like you watch it and yeah, it mm-hmm. just it, it appears as though it's a bad meme. So yeah, it, I it's like Echo's, you know, jet and missile hopping. Well, that's just cool though. Like, oh, yeah. I, yeah. That, that, it like, is, but it also now you see it and you think of all the video games and other things that you've done similar-ish things in. But I feel like that's a little different. Like I, I, I agree that like, but because it's still good animation, it stands on its own, and I can still be entertained by it. Whereas like a gag or something like that is not. It's not going to work at all because I've seen a bazillion shows that do the girl can't cook or the like, uh, the people meeting outside of school to fight, like, mm-hmm. you know, but just good animation. You, you can always appreciate that. Or, I don't know. I can always appreciate that. Yeah. There's, there's definitely no shortage of good animation there. And I, so it's, I feel like we're kind of coming around to like things that project Ego has, has that are excellent stuff. It has some really excellent animation segments. It has some actually genuinely like funny bits in it that are still that are still funny now, in spite of you know they probably would have like we were saying like if had we seen this in eighty six we probably would have been dying because they would have come up or with a bunch of the stuff we hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. Was it ninety um, one? I think that it was CPM's first U.S. release or one of them. Yeah, yeah, it was with uh, with the cinematic triumph that is Empty Geist. most dangerous geist (laughs) one of the first things that you had a chance to spend an absurd amount of money on a single VHS tape of very early in the 90s and had I seen this in 91 I would have been blown away I mean I remember being blown away just by the trailer for it on a CPM tape that I got several years later so some of that too, though. Like, I agree that if if I had watched it back in the day, I probably would have loved it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I watched back in the day, but I also feel like some of that is because that was what was available, and there wasn't much. It, it was different enough and still good that like I would have appreciated it. But I don't know. Some of my distaste for it is the rehashing of of the cliches that it you know some of the ones that it invented, but. A lot of my distaste for it is the stuff that I think is just it being lackluster by itself. I was trying to look up uh, off that topic for a second. I was trying to look back up at uh, Megumi Hayashibara, and like her first stuff was either I can't quite tell, but it's possibly either uh, either Project Echo or Maison Ikoku, where she started to do a bunch of kind of small roles in that. Um, yeah, I I know this is definitely early in her career because her big breakout role was was Rama, right? Was mm-hmm. was was girl type Rama, I want to say. Was like when she really exploded um in popularity and that was not too long after this. That was only a couple of years. Yep. Yeah, that was 89 and then it was and then it was the Hayashibara decade. Well, I mean, if you look at the the not to make this a Rama episode, but like the the list of VAs in Rama one half are all, all they're all stacked legends. They have like Yamaguchi Kape, uh, Kiku, Kiku Inoue, um, Minami Takayama, like all the uh, Hidaka Noriko, like all these like absolute 
legends in the industry were all all on this one show for for a long time. So, but um, it was interesting for me to me to see Imigumi play such a bit part in something because for she was you know it's so prominent for a vast majority <laughs> of the time I've watched anime. So. Do you know who you're working with here? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like when Neil Young shows up to just start playing guitar and singing. You're like, oh, that's Neil Young. They're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, another, uh, another, uh, I guess IP that I feel like I can't. I, mean, I haven't found anything official confirms or denied, but I feel like drew a lot from this was was Gunbuster because I feel like the whole dynamite kick thing that Aiko does several times is harkens really a lot to the Inazuma kick. Oh, and, and just and I Gunbuster. was thinking like. And like the how the school has like yeah, a, P, a PE, PE yeah like oh, like robots for PE like that felt very gunbustery to me yeah a hundred percent I definitely thought of that when I saw that so I'm I'm wondering how much inspiration there from obviously the rest of Gunbuster is nah, not is pretty different I would say there are elements that are similar between the relationship between Eiko and Biko and uh, Noriko and oh what the hell is her senpai's name but in, in any case. Um, been been a bit too long. We should we need to do a Gunbuster episode anyway. Like that's <laughs> we definitely all, do. I mean, Gunbuster Gunbuster era was eighty eight, mm-hmm. eighty eight, so eighty nine. It would it would it's yeah it would getting a Blu Ray release soon. I think in the U.S. And you know, I feel like timeline wise, kind of correlates well with with our with the series. But but in in any case, <laughs> so at the end of the day, um. I think Echo kind of it it, it kind of starts uh, a I feel like a a trend of kind of make of of like uh, plots in in you know standalone like like OVA and movie properties of mixing a lot of like heavy gag elements as well as like a, a lot of action like I can't think of too many things in this era that did that like was heavy as heavy handed was with uh both of those elements as Aiko was. I feel like there was a lot of stuff that followed that definitely, you know, was took, you know, had a, had a, you know, carried a lot of humor but also still had, you know, a lot of action otherwise because if I had to, you know, try to pigeonhole Aiko into a single genre, I would probably put it in action, but I mean there is definitely a lot of comedy elements in it. See, yeah. I'd consider it a parody, primarily. Mm. Yeah, but that's it's, justifiable. It's a parody with some very solid action sequences. I don't know. I don't like. I I see the parody part in there, but I don't know. I feel like a parody doesn't stand unless you know the original. Like you can't read the Tony Takizawa's uh, Tony Takizaki's Gundam manga, like. Without knowing, without knowing the Gundam story exclusively, and if you haven't read that manga, it's there's like two volumes. It was done in like two thousand two or something. They're Gundam parody mangas, and they're great. They're hilarious. Just they, it's like I think it's a bunch of like, I haven't read in a while, but it's a bunch of like Yonakoma stuff and uh, stupid things with Char like pitching and like selling sodas and coffees and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's more a broad genre parody, sort of like, you know, not quite, but like in the 80s you had Airplane and you had uh, the Naked Gun movies, and it's kind of along those lines of like more a genre parody than a specific thing parody. I wouldn't call either of those parodies, though. I mean, I would just call those slapstick comedy movies, right? Like, they do parody things, but, like, it's not a parody... Parody of a specific thing. Yeah. Like Dylan says, like, you kind of... You you have to know the thing for the parody to do its work. I Yeah, I don't know. It feels like this does enough by itself that, like, it doesn't... Not to discount parodies, but, like, it feels more than a parody. Yeah, but there's definitely a fair amount of parody in it. Like, apparently the interior of the ship is so modeled after the designer of the Gamera stuff's ship-type designs that he approached Mori afterward and was like, I see what you did there. I feel like some of that is probably just the animators uh, just letting loose. You know, the animators and, and uh, the creators letting loose, right? Oh, the loose, animators right? definitely threw in a lot of things that weren't in the script or the storyboard, like some of the characters... Like, um, Biko's whole baseball signals to her crew was apparently <laughs> oh, yeah. come up with one of, by one of the animators who really loved baseball and <laughs> wasn't going to take no for an answer. On oh, well, there was like that one, I, di- I didn't even get the reference, one gag where like she's like, you know, suddenly dons a baseball cap and like pulls the bill down and says something, you know, prof- like profound. I-, I-, I totally didn't get the reference, but, um. Me there either, were... but that was apparently baseball fan animators doing. I, I liked that part. That part was, even though, yeah, I don't know if I got the reference, but like, it was still funny it by itself. It works as a non yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so, um, it, since it looks like we're, we've, we've kind of take, run our course, <laughs> run our course <laughs> with, uh, with Echo, which, I don't know. I feel like it's doing it a bit of a service. Like I, I understand um, Sam, what well, Sam's issues with it, but I, as a whole package, I still feel like it's, you know, a very complete, uh, a complete package. Like, I don't, I don't feel like it has a gaping hole in it. Like, oh, yeah. the, uh, like the previous two that we watched, right? I like agree. Birth and and Megazone. I feel like it's a very complete package where I, you know, where. When you if you when you watch it you'll you shouldn't be left with thinking like hmm this is missing something you know whether you like it or not definitely is up to taste hundred percent it like while the other two definitely felt incomplete this actually feels complete I just don't I don't like it so yeah and that's totally that's valid fair. Uh, although like I like you hear me like some of the parts in this are great like the animation it, it is fantastic uh, at, at times uh, they recycle stuff and some of the stuff's not the greatest but like. There's a lot of great animation. There are some really funny gags that I laughed at, um, and yeah, some great music. So like, it's not it's not a unsalvageable, right? Like, there's good stuff in there just as a whole. And and Seiko really, it's a deal breaker for sure. <laughs> yeah, Seiko, not a fan. Um, one thing that I'm trying racking my brain trying to think of is whether any anime character did the like turbo-powered rooftop-to-rooftop nearly immediately like Ninja Hop like Eiko does before Eiko did it. Because mm. I've certainly seen it in later anime, like Birdie the Mighty does it, for example, and Good question. several other characters. I mean, but I'm not remembering it being done before Eiko. 
even even taking a step you know for back from that just how many characters like Aiko were there before Aiko like you're kind of run of the mill that's just say you know teenager who has who clearly has superhuman athleticism um to to a point of you know absurdity and it's almost like she's the child of not superman and not wonder one yeah right (laughs) 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 yeah so there's a cut at the very end where you actually see her parents and you know they oh that (laughs) yeah oddly enough look very much like clark kent and uh and 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 Wonder Woman just just from the quick glance you get, and they're you know they're sitting there stone faced as she's bolting out the door. I thought that was kind of interesting. Is there more to that, or was that an intentional like Superman and Wonder Woman thing, or or was it? It just... definitely was. The newspaper that one of them is reading is the Daily Planet. Oh, okay. Oh, I I totally missed that. Because <laughs> I I was kind of like taken aback by that. I was like, wait, what? Do she has parents? Like, <laughs> since when? <laughs> Why put this in now? I believe they do get a bit more screen time in some of the sequels, too, which is one of the things that makes me more curious to Yeah, they actually bring in the parent. I know for for a fact in the second one, um, Biko's dad is a prominent character. I can't remember if Aiko's are or not, but... um... But again, going back, so you know, because I feel like Echo is the first uh, female protagonist who has superpowers, but isn't considered a superhero. If that makes sense, like she's basically perceived as this normal girl who just has, to happens to be and have have near superhuman abilities. I'm trying to think about a character like her that existed hmm. before I mean, this. And I would, in, I'm just going to assume anything mainstream anime manga, but probably no, I can't think of anything anime, but there must've been something in manga. Sure. And that's totally valid. Manga existed, you know, decades, many, many decades before any, the first, first anime was made. So very possible, but just, I don't know, just some food for thought just because now, now she's a trope that is everywhere, right? Yeah. yeah. These, these super performing high school teenagers who can have superhuman feats that can do superhuman feats. It's like dime a dozen um these days but yeah i mean i'm thinking of like male characters yes like future boy conan kind of fits that with his crazy foot dexterity (laughs) i I will again to give the show more credit there is there is good stuff in here where they um they didn't over explain stuff in this show which i appreciate which if i liked this more i would i would be all really wanting to see the follow-on um episodes movies i don't know um just to find out more but because i just dislike it so much i (laughs) i can't be yeah there's a lot that goes unexplained right like the bracers they don't like they're very prominent she you see right away she has bracers on but they never once even mention it in in the first episode i can't i know they mention it eventually but i can't remember which at which point they do yeah i can't remember if it's like the really heavy to slower down Morris the Chojo type gag or mm. I feel like it might have been it's certainly not explained in this movie and yeah they just let it let it rock I mean there's a lot of things it's just this is how it is and they let it rock and I respect it to I respect mm-hmm. it a lot to have that the 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 you know the guts to just go and go for it and it worked I mean I yeah. feel again this commercially this I would I think this is a success right it went yep. on to have multiple sequels it was mm-hmm. 
you know, is pretty iconic for the era. Um, you know, pl- plenty of the staff went on to go, you know, do many, many amazing things after this. And then it was largely forgotten about as the film rotted in a vault where no one could find it until like a year ago. <laughs> right. During this was this was part of that big, you know, restoration push of the last couple of years, right? Well, the film literally had been lost as far as everyone knew. It had gone missing since the early 90s, so all anyone had to do anything with was the Laserdisc Masters, which looked as good as you would expect. Discotech mm. was actually, had already started and spent months of work on doing a Domesday device like direct RF capture of the of multiple laser discs to edit them together and then do an AI upscale. And then Robert Woodhead of Animago found the film right next to um uh Maddox 01 while in the same vault. <laughs> More or less. Wow. And so Discotech was like, ah, well crap. That's a lot of work we're not gonna get back, but it's clear what we have to do. Where where yeah, was that right. vault? Was that in Japan? Yeah, it was, I think, just like the Tokyo Film Lab, but I could be wrong on that. Interesting. God bless Robert Woodhead for, for many reasons. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, restoring this stuff has been a huge boon. I mean, again, like, look, like, look at how, like, look at how much they were able to clean up Megazone. Like it, it, it was that was an immaculate mm-hmm. cleanup job. Yeah. yeah. And you can really see the detail that they put into it in at the you know in high resolution, which is one thing I love about the modern era is you can really see mm-hmm. the effort that p- these people put into drawing the stuff by hand painstakingly. Yeah. yeah, I know the team doing the Echo restoration wished they'd had a little longer to do color correction and clean up because things you know everything was so time consuming and they'd already done all of that ai upscale work that they had to toss out and everything so the blu-ray is maybe a little rushed as far as the transfer quality it still looks infinitely better than anything available using that ld master from decades ago that was blurry as heck but i can see why they wish they had another you know a little more time to spend with it yeah, I think it's one of those. At some point, it's they they have to think about like how much are they actually going to recoup for this, right? Because I feel like it's a pretty niche group of people that would you know really really want absolutely a, a super clean you know transfer of this. I mean, I feel like we kind of fall into that group, but we're definitely not the average consumer of anime these days. <laughs> I would say, yeah, um, <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty far from it, probably. But um, anyway, yeah. Discotech put out a pretty nice Blu-ray, all things considered. It has the commentary tracks from the old CPM special edition disc. It has gallery. It has the full storyboards and basically every other bit of printed material that they could get their hands on and scan. Now, was that for just the first, or for all of the? Uh... Well just for the first i don't the have first. their follow-up blu-rays to gotcha. see what they were able to do with them but the first disc they definitely did one of their feature-packed special editions good to know all right um well are we just about are hitting the one hour mark so uh, i would i guess i'll open the floor up for any final 
you know, thoughts, comments, criticisms uh, before we close close the doors on Project Echo. How about we go with uh, Sam first? Um, I was just looking at my notes from watching this thing, and I, I'll just mention one thing. Uh, as to another piece of evidence of how terrible Seiko is. Um, there's that scene where, like, Echo gets uh, cleaning duty, and she has to, like, clean, and Seiko, instead of helping or whatever, just goes and waits outside by the gate. Like, what? <laughs> I, that seems really oh, like are you friends like that seems weird Seiko's gonna Seiko yeah what about you Dylan uh I was trying to th- I was trying to think of a little thing of like all right would I recommend this uh and I think I say I would recommend it to you know like our what I probably guess of our typical audience of a level level four anime fan who can accept that yes this is in the 80s and there's an excessive amount of panties in there but other than that i would say you know what give give it a watch it's actually it still has funny bits has good animation cool soundtrack uh so it's it's entertaining and then you can decide whether you fall on the sam or mike side of things of project Deco. If you don't yeah, like it, though, I... don't be afraid to fast forward to to interesting stuff, though. Too <laughs> don't don't make yourself suffer. Yeah, I I would agree with you, Dylan. That if if this was if there was a person that we would recommend Megazone two three to, then I could also probably recommend Echo to that to that same yeah. pool of people. Yeah, and they'd have different opinions. Would they would like one vastly more than the other, or maybe hate them all and just stick with the uh, Demon City Shinjuku? Or MD guys, <laughs> which had enough fans to bankroll part two somehow. What about you, Mike, uh, our historian? I'm. Uh, it's hard for me to say whether I'd recommend this, just because the past time or two that I showed it in Summer Mina, it's been pretty flat. So I feel like the kids these days aren't really down with the Echoes, though that was before the new master, so it looked terrible, so I may have to experiment sometime, just give it another shot and see if people approach it a little better now that it looks better, but some parts of it definitely have not aged well for current fans. Yeah, I would say that for me to recommend it to somebody, I would be recommending it to look at the quality of the animation and not the content necessarily, if that makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> um and yeah and obviously with a huge asterisk of like it, there there could be stuff here that's very triggering so you know be warned but you know it is it is what it is it was definitely a product of its era and again it showed its pedigree because it was again what originally planned to be part of an adult uh ova series but uh, uh, all things considered, I think if you're looking at it in the lens of like you know, like this is a this is a significant piece of history in in anime, then I think it's very watchable. Still, is is my final assessment of it. Yeah, and it's definitely significant on its impact both in Japanese and in American anime fandom. I absolutely agree. All right, and uh, for the first time in a great while, we actually can also announce what our topic for the next episode will be. So 
the uh, next episode will be on Made in Abyss Season 2, which is the second full season of the anime series. And with that, uh, this is AMO Kenzoku signing off. Sarabha. Sarabha.